It's 11.30, small group today. I, I may, maybe it's the book or just, you know, fatigue, Zoom fatigue. But um, so the book this month, I changed it. It was going to be the War of Art and um, not the Art of War. Yesterday I was, I was on the phone, you know, we did a Zoom call with Dwayne Stiller and he goes, you mean the, the Art of War? I'm like, no, it's the War of Art. It's a new book. He's like, oh, okay. So um, we changed it because I thought we could add a different perspective of to what's going on in our world today. And I had always wanted to read Man's Search for Meaning, but I knew it was going to be very depressing. And I, you know, you definitely want to be in the right mindset when you pick that book up, right? Versus, um, you know, Shoe Dog. So uh, the first thing that I want to say is any comments, hey, Greg, any comment, I, um, you know, let's just start by saying, you know, this book was written in the worst of circum, you know, the worst in the most evil of life ever, right? And, and, and I'm not in any way wanting to compare what happened back then to what's happening today, because it, it's not comparable. However, I think that we can take, uh, philosophical positions of Viktor Frankl in the book and apply them to what is going on today. So I just want to make sure everyone knows that I am no way am comparing, uh, you know, a shelter in place with what happened uh, in Nazi Germany, you know, and uh, so let's just put that out there. But I think that, um, and in, did anyone on the call get to read it currently? I mean, I know Mark, you've read it before, did, Greg, did you just recently read it, like now? Yeah, now. He says now. Me too. Like so, now, yeah. yeah. So I, have, I had never read it before. Had you ever read it? No, have not. So how did you feel? Uh, how heavy and how heartbreaking and just moving was, I don't know. I, I, I found myself like walking. I would listen to it while I was walking and tears streaming down my face. Well, I mean, I, my grandfather fought in World War II, and I mean, he was part of, the, I mean, he was part of the liberation team in Germany. So he got, I, I heard a few of these stories already. So, I mean, I had kind of experienced this, um, but, but to just kind of read, read through it and, and get the perspective from him, I mean, it, it, it's tough. It, it is a difficult read. Um, not, not to mention the last part of it where he gets into the whole psycho logo therapy type stuff, you know, so it's intense and can, I mean, can you apply the lessons that he learned to today's environment? Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think we could sit here and say that there, there's any real comparisons, but the, the lessons that can be learned from being in a difficult situation and learning and growing from that are very applicable to today that we're talking about today. Yeah, and I, you know, I found myself as, you know, I, I think it, it may have been you that said, you know, I, the, the first part is significantly different than the last part. And I found myself as it started getting into the whole psychobabble stuff, I thought, oh, I'm gonna hate this. And actually I, as I was listening, because I, I listened to the book Walking, I was literally thinking, um, you know, comparing again, not, I, I, I can't stress this enough, but I couldn't help but compare where, you know, he was talking about the, you know, the prisoners and the people, the, you know, the, the victims and the, you know, you know, the Jewish population versus the Capos and the, and the Germans. And I, you know, I couldn't help but feel like I was thinking about, and my mind went to my, my mom and pops who were on the phone sobbing with me every day to the national tenants who were just being jerks, calling me and saying, you know, harsh, mean, rude things. And again, not comparing it. I'm not trying to compare it, but my mind was going there that, that like he was saying, he had to navigate, navigate on a day-to-day -day basis, whether does he save the piece of bread, 
you know, share it with his, his, his fellow prisoners. And then he had to put a smile on his face with the guards to just get through life and get through another day. And um, a small part of me feeling this emotional roller coaster that some of us are going through dealing with these sobbing people, I'm going to lose my life, my, you know, everything I've ever worked for. It, I, you know, I'm worried for their, their mental sanity. And then these tenants who are, you know, saying, hey, partner, <laughs> with our $2 billion balance sheet, you know, we're never going to pay you rent for the next year type of thing. So again, I'm not trying to compare it. And I, I, I hope I've made that clear. But there were similarities in, in emotional comparisons. So Mark, you, you wanted to talk about some things. And Mark, share, share your relationship with, is it your brother or your cousin? So my, uh, my cousin was um, a student of Viktor Frankl. Uh, he worked with him for years and years in California. Uh, he's written a book, a textbook about logotherapy. And I've been to his office and I saw all his Viktor Frankl paraphernalia, some of the intimate drawings that Viktor Frankl actually gave to my, my first cousin. Um, and spent a lot of time, I, obviously my cousin's a psychiatrist. So he worked directly with him, both on a student basis and on a professional basis uh, up until Viktor Frankl's death. So um, I read the book and let me just comment on a couple of things. I think a lot of books, remember the book a few years ago that came out, The Secret? Yeah. It's all about, it's the same Viktor Frankl. So Viktor Frankl is really the essence of all this, you know, if you can put it in your mind, you can see it, you can do it. And it's all about um, what you think about is how to make things come to reality and have a life after and nothing can take away your brain. But I just want to read a couple of things that my cousin wrote about Frankel, which people probably won't have an insight on just by reading his book. The public Frankel never sought attention or credit for his contributions. As mentioned, um, he was a modest and humble man, perhaps too much sometimes. He believed if one wanted to be to better know the words of Viktor Frankl, one should seek out Viktor Frankl. Another one. He was reluctant to ask for favors, rarely requesting things that would bring fame, recognition, or personal comfort. He hated commercialization associated with profound popularity. He did not believe in marketing. He did not believe in self-aggrandizement or drawing undue attention to himself. He shunned the spotlight. Dick's like for commercialism even went further when it came to logo therapy. He disliked the prefix logo in front of things like tours, conferences, etc. So, you know, he was a very humble guy, you know, as what he went through. Um, he always wanted to be better and got there with his own brain. And that's what we need to do. We got to get out of our own head sometimes. And I think he was actually sort of the one that actually uh, coined, you know, you are what you think about, you are what you think about, you become what you think about. Um, and that's what's so important getting through some of these tough times. We can't, can't be woe is me. And it's never the event. It's always our reaction to it. Um, you know, some of the expressions have gone a long way with that. It's always meant to be. So you have to work with it. Um, and I think this book is so poignant, you know, like this, that you can't compare the tragedy and misery of being in a concentration camp to today, but you can compare his therapy and his thoughts on you are controlling what you're thinking about. If you think this is all doom and gloom, it's going to be doom and gloom. Or you can think like Barry Wolf, who's closed four deals in the last month, it's still a good time to, to be a broker. So, you know, and, you know, we put two large deals in contract, you know, through this epidemic. So um, you just got to keep a positive mindset and keep your mindset right. And I think by reading this book, the contrast of being in the worst of possible conditions of ever. And one sort of last thing, and this is just a personal note. I, after I read the book, I really became interested in the Holocaust and I've read so much more about it. And as depressing as it is, you need to know more about it because you can never let it happen again. 
ever. And uh, if you don't understand it and people don't understand it, 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 it it's just, it's not just Jews. I mean, the, the millions and millions of other, the Russians that were killed, it was just horrible what the, the Germans did for their quote, final solution. So anyway. Uh, I, um, yeah, I, look, I, I am the glass half full girl. And at, for every thing that happens, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, how do we look at this in a more positive light? So for, uh, I, you know, I had the interview yesterday with Dwayne Stiller, which was really, if you guys weren't there, definitely watch the replay. Um, and he was very positive and optimistic. I said, from your mouth to God's ears, Dwayne. But um, I, uh, I think for, uh, for my peeps, which are all the leasing peeps, this is, you know, I started in 1986 in the middle of the savings and loan crisis, and I was able to create my, the, the path to my start of my, of, of, you know, some successful results because I learned during the hard times and there was so much vacancy and it was difficult vacancy to lease, but we had so much vacancy that leasing people were you know the gods right and because if, if you could figure out how to lease in the 19 the late 1980s you could certainly do it like what we've had in the last 10 years with basically just taking orders so um there's so many ways to take each thing that we're dealing with and turn it on the positive you know i was saying the first couple weeks that we were shelter in place well um, I'm happy I have air conditioning. I shouldn't have said this out loud, a refrigerator, because then my, my compressor broke. But, you know, and power to power your phones. And I'm happy that when I get out of my two showers a day, I'm not sweating. And I was alluding to us in South Florida that, you know, the, the other times where we're shelter in place is after a hurricane for two or three days, right? And it's in awful conditions. We don't have air conditioning. We can't, we're literally going our car, cars to power our phones. And we get out of showers and five minutes later, we're sweating. Our food is rotting by the minute. So, you know, I think in every situation we can think about a positive and I think in business we can too. I, you know, um, uh, Greg works in malls. Um, someone else on the call is a developer. You know, I think that there are gonna be challenges, challenges in both of those, but as leasing agents, those are, those are gonna be opportunities, you know, and I'm sure, that, you know, uh, Dwayne said yesterday that, and, and my, my neighbor who owns Shorty's Barbecue and two restaurants down in the Keys, and I said to him about three weeks ago when that article came out about 110,000 restaurants never reopening, I said, oh my gosh, what do you think about that? And he said, actually, I think it's pretty good. Less supply is not a bad thing right now. So it's truly all in the perspective of how you look at each thing. You know, we can all get caught up in, oh my gosh. But then once you break things down one at a time, I think that we can find the glass half full on those. There, there's a passage that I highlighted in the book. Um, it's kind of similar to talking about the same vein that we're talking about now, but it goes, when a man finds that it is his destiny to suffer, he will have to accept his suffering as his task, his single and unique task. He will have to acknowledge the fact that even in suffering, he is unique and alone in the universe. No one can relieve him of his suffering or suffer in his place. His unique opportunity lies in the way in which he bears his burden. You know, that's about as clear and concise of what we're talking about over the last five to six weeks. And you just have to, it's in the eye of the beholder. And that's basically the way I take it. Um, and you really have to look at it that way. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, there's a lot of doom and gloom and you can read and listen and watch everything you want, but in, it, you have to look at the opportunity that is there in front of you as opposed to, and, and we're moving forward. We're not going backwards. We have to move forward. And that's just, that's how you have to approach it. Yeah, I, I, I think I shared this on a past, um, I don't know what, which webinar of the 17 I've held in the last few weeks. But, um, my dad always taught me in the middle of a rainstorm, the worst thing you can do is pull over on the side of the road. You got to keep driving through it. 
you know, and he goes, when you see, and you know, he taught me this as a 16 year old driver learning to drive. And he said, the worst thing you can do, I, you know, you're going to see all these cars pulled over on the, on the side of the road and they could be sitting under that rain cloud for hours. Just keep driving and you'll eventually drive your way through it and out of it. And that was just a phenomenal lesson because it's the same thing. You know, we just got done talking about ICSE and, you know, just like Viktor Frankl in the story, he adapted, he was flexible. We have to adapt, we have to be flexible. You know, the, you know, for the first three or four days, I thought, oh my gosh, we can't prospect. And then I said, why can't we prospect? Let me start, let me try to be sensitive. Let me think about, you know, how do we do it, right? Who do we, you know, who do we call? What uses, what, you know, what tenants, et cetera. And, and you know, there are some people in some organizations that will be adaptable and flexible like he was, and then some that, that aren't. And those are the ones that aren't gonna be successful. So I think we have to keep moving forward and trying new things. Um, you know, how, how exciting, how many new people are on social media in the last six weeks, right, Barry? Exactly, agreed. I mean, crazy amount of new people on social. It's, I, I'm, I'm anxious to see once they get busy again with their everyday lives, if they stay connected and they saw the value. What do you, did, Greg, did you notice that? How many new people are on social on LinkedIn? There's, there's a lot of people that you don't, certainly that I've never connected with and, and had conversations with and um, interesting conversations as well. Cause I mean, I've, I've been known to get myself into a little bit of a, email, you know, LinkedIn with someone that's yapping about the death of retail and the retail apocalypse and everything else like that. So um, I, I'm not one to mince words sometimes when it comes to a certain opinion I have, but it, um, you can definitely tell that they're, they're out there, which is interesting. Yeah, I, I, I also have a couple of passages that I wanted to share from the story. Um, I, this, this one I really liked. So live as if you were living already for the second time. And as if you had acted the first time as wrongly as you are about to act now. There you go, Greg, I'm, I'm talking to you on LinkedIn, just kidding. But you know, he's basically saying if this is, and this is true in our commercial real estate career, we will forever, this will be forever known as pre-COVID or post-COVID, right? We are in the, po hopefully soon, we will be in the post-COVID part of our career. And there was a pre-COVID. It's definitely going to be, you know, there's gonna be this Chinese wall between, no, no pun intended, a Chinese wall between pre and post. And uh, I think that there are some great things that have come out of COVID that hopefully will, will continue. Similarly, after 9-11, there are some good things, but you know, I think human nature does take over and sometimes we go back to our old ways. But um, what do you guys think about that? Pre-COVID and post-COVID, our life before COVID and our life after COVID. Do you guys agree that it's, there's gonna be some long-term you know, permanent changes on how, thing, how we do things? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So Barry, did yeah. you, I heard uh, Chloe, my new intern, was in Delray Beach last weekend and said Atlantic Avenue looked like there was never a COVID. I was talking to somebody yesterday that said the same thing, which is stunning. I mean, we've been kind of sheltered, I don't know, just been kind of in our own little cocoon. So that's what I'm hearing. So I was surprised by that. But yeah, no, there will definitely be pre-COVID, post-COVID, just like I was listening to a um, session with Darren Hardy who I like, and he was talking about, just like you said, there was a pre 9-11, there was a post 9-11. He was ranting that he keeps hearing people wonder things go back to normal. It's like, they're not, just stop. It's, there's a pre-COVID, there's a post-COVID. And I, I've been saying to people, just like there's pre 9-11 and post 9-11, if you went to an airline, the airport right now, and there was no security, you walked to the gate, nobody checked your ID, you probably wouldn't even want to get on the plane. Uh, but you know, that's, I mean, before 9-11, I several times, took flights, my brothers booked tickets and they couldn't use them, so I'd go fly. And I remember even specifically saying, nobody checks an ID, so I'm, I can use that ticket. And nowadays, you'd be uncomfortable if that was the case. And I think that's gonna be 
you know, are we going to look back, you know, a year, two years from now and remember, you remember you used to walk into a restaurant and nobody took your temperature? How crazy was that? I don't know if that's going to happen. I have no clue, but it, it might. And that might become just the norm where we'd be thinking, I would never go in a store now without my temperature being taken. And I mean, again, so there will definitely be things like that that we can't even think of right now that'll just be part of our lives going forward for the you next know, many years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know. So I, I have to give kudos to Greg. So when I came back from Shop Talk to, you know, I don't know, two years ago, last year, whenever it was, um, and we had, we got on a call and it was a book club call because that was what we did back then. Remember it was, and we were all on the phone. We weren't on Zoom. And I talked about how at Shop Talk I had heard that malls were assigning parking spaces for curbside pickup for their restaurants. And I had asked Greg, are you guys, is, is, is Brookfield doing this? And you said, absolutely, we're doing it at all of our malls and it's adding sales and yada, yada. And I immediately starting, started the campaign with La Spada Subs saying you've been in this, you know, nine store chain in South Florida, very, very successful. Can't really do any more new business in their 1200 square feet. You know, we're tapped out pretty much. And went to them and said, you've been always asking me for a permanent parking space. I will give it to you on one condition. You have to have an app. And if you have an app that people can order and pay on the app, I will give you your own parking space. It took them almost a year to do it. And guess what? On March 1st, their app went live. Wow. They would Perfect have timing. Huh? Perfect timing. They would have been dead in the water without that app because they, if Greg, this is a sub shop where you, where 47 people consistently stand in line between 11 and two and they go down the line and they shout their orders and the meat is thrown and everyone always orders the same thing, which was my point with the owner. I order the same thing once a week, 52 weeks out of the year. I want to be able to push a button. It's already paid for. I don't have to, I don't have to stand in line. I don't have to walk the line. I don't have to, and the, the pay line was long. If they didn't have that app, which they rolled out on March 1st on all nine locations in South Florida, the only way they could have done business is by phone calls. And they would, they would have probably done 20% of their business because they, I guess they could have installed more phone lines, right? And hired more people. But because of their app, they have reported to me that they are almost double, almost yeah. double year over year in sales from last year. During COVID, not open. So My son's barbecue place is the same thing. And they don't even have a drive-through. And yeah. Imagine it, and, and so what we're noticing is that there are a lot of restaurants that are really reconfiguring, either reconfiguring their spaces or they're looking to relocate. And it's, there's a lot. I mean, I'd say 20% of existing restaurants now are like on the market looking for new spaces be, to accommodate. Chipotle. Chipotle wants to buy every restaurant or look at every good restaurant that's going out of you know, that has a good location. I'm considering doing a ghost kitchen in a center where I can't do more restaurants because of parking. And I think that local multi-location restaurants like Las Spadas has figured out this could be another piece of business we could do where we don't need people to come in and sit down. I'm considering building one out. I think that'd be fantastic. I agree. And then when these restaurants, when they get their regular business back, which they'll get back eventually added to what they're doing, the ones that have been evolving and they're, they're going to blow up in a great way. I mean, the survivors are going to do fantastic. A gross kitchen. I, I love that idea. I, I think that's phenomenal. Thinking about doing it at Sawgrass. That's great. That'd be a good spot. That'd be perfect for that. All that daytime pop. We have 500,000 employees, very underserved in restaurants. The mall, who has time to go to the mall food court on their lunch hour? They don't. And it's garbage anyway. Right. Speaking about malls, are your malls all open now, Greg? No, we will be, 
I think we'll be at about 60% by the end of next week. Um, East Coast, so right now, New York, East Coast, Chicago, and the West Coast are slowly, like there's really no real plans. Maybe by, maybe by, the, by, the, by the 18th, but they're very, they've been very slow, but just simply because of their government restrictions to reopen. Someone posted on LinkedIn yesterday, um, Carrie from Franklin Street, that he went into a mall in Atlanta and there were eight stores open. Dwayne said he went into Boca Town Center and there were eight stores open. My son, yeah. my son who works at Lego, uh, was called in yesterday to get trained on sanit new sanitary practices, and he is on the schedule to work next Wednesday. They haven't announced their opening in the press, but the stores are calling in their employees. So we're, we're guessing that Monday Sawgrass is opening based on what the tenants are telling their employees. Yeah, I, th I think the, I think the retailers are really kind of ex the malls are expecting, and the other retailers are, are waiting for what Apple's going to do. Apple hasn't reopened yet, and I, I think they're opening like some six locations this week. And so, you know, Victoria's Secret, Bath and Body Works, and Apple they probably represent, they probably generate 60% of the mall traffic as it is. Hmm. And so Amazing. those retailers aren't open. They, those three tenants represent 60% of the traffic in your malls? In the last year. They're wow. out, it's out of control. So sex and computers. Everybody's, I know, it, it's, it's so weird. But yeah, I mean, and it's just- Sex and tech, sex and tech. Yeah, I guess. All right, let's go back to the book. Um, Actually, I've got a jump Beth. I've got a noon client conference call. Um, now, it sounds, I mean, honestly, I've not read the book, just being honest, but I, it sounds amazing. I've got to go back and try the audio. Uh, and it definitely puts everything in perspective. I mean, when you, like you said, I was even, again, Darren Hardy, I was listening, I think it was him, and he was, you know, we were all whining, not all, but we're, you know, it's, it's hard. I mean, what we're going through, but he put it in perspective. He talked about if you were born in 1900 and he went down the list of things that, you know, that generation, the greatest generation went through, including the Spanish flu, including polio, including multiple world wars, including the Vietnam war, including a great, you know, the true great depression. And it was just kind of did, he did it to put it in perspective, all the things they went through. And as a mass, we're kind of complaining, we have to stay home while we have Netflix streaming and we have the internet and we have Zoom calls, we can talk to people. We're not stuck in a concentration camp in this instance. I mean, so it did, it does put it all into perspective and reality. And lastly, before I jump, there's actually, there's a coach that works with Nick Saban and I, he's got a bunch of quotes that he's you know, given that I, I really liked a lot. And one of his was, so what now what? And it's kind of like that, that um, okay, so so what? We're stuck at home. Now what? Like you, you've been talking about it. And I'll admit, I mean, I was whining last night, making dinner. I had to wash my hands 10 times to, you know, with you know, risk of contamination, all this stuff. And I was kind of just, again, whiny and woe is me and whatever. And, you know, you talk about somebody who was stuck at a concentration camp that their piece of bread, what do they do with that? And I'm, I'm upset that I got to wash my hand 10 times over the, because of the meal that just came from a great Mexican restaurant and it does kind of put it in perspective and reality. It, it's, it so does. So, all right, go to your yeah. call. Thanks for being Thanks. here. Be well, you guys. Bye. Bye. Um, yeah. So uh, a couple other clauses. Um, he says, I do not forget any good deed done to me and I do not carry a grudge for a bad one. Wow. If we could all live our life with that, right? I don't forget any good deed, but I don't carry a grudge for a bad one. That's, that's pretty hard to do, but pretty, pretty amazing. Um, this is another one. It is not freedom from conditions, but it is freedom to take a stand toward the conditions. And I think that, you know, What's going on with the nationals against landlords is pretty disgusting. And I loved when Connor um, 
from Kimco put out in the public on LinkedIn, you know, you nationals need to pay so we can help the mom and pops. And the rumor is that he got his hand slapped for doing that by his board because they're a public company. But I loved that he took the stand because what is happening in our industry with that is, is pretty awful. And, you know, we thought, we all thought it was getting better, you know, nine days ago. And then we all got the Starbucks letter on Monday that, you know, they want 12 months of something hasn't been decided yet what that something is, but that kind of took our, all, all of our breath away. Cause as we are starting to reopen in different states and cities and markets around the country and rent may rents are coming in to have a national tenant like that, sending a letter saying we're going to need help for 12 months was pretty, um, that was like a fist in the chest. Um, and then going back to that prior quote, try not to hold a grudge. Speaking of holding grudges, any, any, another wonderful thing the nationals are doing is they're, they're, there's, they keep telling everyone that they've got a list and any landlord that defaults them are going on the list. I, I told someone the other day, I'm going to go to the next ICSE with a button that says I'm on the, I'm on the list. I defaulted the national tenants. <laughs> Shame on them. Um, you know, I, 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 I have a tenant in one of my centers and they wouldn't respond. They wouldn't respond. They just kept saying, we're not going to pay. And finally, I basically sent them a default letter and they were on the phone first thing that in the morning because they had an $800,000 investment in my, in the space. They didn't want to get defaulted. And we worked out a deal finally. Uh, and I even charged them the late fee for not paying the month of April. And then they forgot to pay it. And I wrote them back, said you, part of our agreement was you pay the late fee and they jumped all over it. So they paid it. But Absolutely. Um, I, on April 9th, on April 9th, I three dayed nine tenants and got four checks FedEx to me. Yep. So um, the challenge is we all need to share that with every small landlord around the country because there's small landlords freaking out. Barry's clients that, you know, own a single tenant you know, that's not in the real estate industry and they get the letter from Starbucks that they need 12 months of something. They're freaking out. And we just got to tell all those small folks, just three damn, they, they all have loans that they have covenants. They can't be in default with their landlords. Not, you know, some of them. Right. You know, and it's all at the end of the day, you know, we're sort of fortunate because, you know, we're, we're, we're very much fortunate. We haven't lost our jobs and everything, but even if you've lost your job, there are ways to make things happen for yourself and you can't be, woe was me. And it's interesting that I was listening to some quotes yesterday and I just blanked out completely on them. So I'm sorry, folks. I'll come back. You can come back, but yeah, I mean, and how fortunate uh, most of, I'm not sure if everyone on the call, but a lot of us are, are from South Florida and how we're so blessed to be down here. Sorry, Greg. But I mean, we, we recovered so quickly after 09, which I believe we will again. Um, another quote here, which I loved is, forces beyond your control can take away everything you possess except one thing your freedom to choose how you will respond to the situation. You cannot control what happens to you in life, but you can always control what you will feel and do about what happens to you, which is both, both Greg and Mark, you, you know, you, you addressed that earlier with other quotes and that obviously his position in the book is it's all about how, what you, Mark, what you said, it's not the event, it's your reaction to it. Right. Yep. And it's also about accepting responsibility for your life. You know, there was, it used to be an expression said, I can't do this. I came from a dysfunctional family. And I said to the guy, well, what family's not dysfunctional? So we all come from dysfunctional families and we're all in Florida. We're all bastard children anyway, because we all came from someplace else, but you have to make up your mind and it's up to you. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. So it's, it's all mindset. I mean, I, I remember when I first came to Miami 25 years ago, I lived, you know, up in off Biscayne Boulevard and there were nothing but, you know, hookers and pimps and drug dealers when I go bike riding. And now I'm blessed to live where I live. And 
but nobody gave me anything. So it's all about your mindset and you just, you know, you have to keep pushing. And if he was in the worst possible mindset. I mean, I don't know if you've read if this book was the one, but one of the Holocaust books where people would literally cut themselves in the morning and put blood on their face so they would look red, so they would look healthy, so the guards wouldn't take them out and kill them. So they, that was one of the ways people survived. And there was an opera that came to Miami years ago that was written in Miami about the Holocaust. And if it ever comes back, I'll let you all know. But it was amazing. And they would literally show six people living in a bed and just trying to survive. And the worst of the worst people in the, in the concentration camps were not the Germans, but the Jews that became the guards. Right. The capos. They were just, but they were also just trying to survive. And that was their survival. And they had to be mean and tough and nasty because they wanted to survive. It, it, and it's a shame, um, but there was nothing. But I just encourage everyone to, to read a little bit more on the Holocaust. Um, as depressing as it is, there's always something that you, know, that you could take away from this. It's, yeah, I, uh, I went to Israel last year during Holy Week and did, and did a tour, you know, walk where Jesus walked. And we did, you know, every day during Holy Week, you know, in, in the Bible, whatever. But before we started our tour, we went to the Holocaust Museum in, outside of Jerusalem. And it was heartbreaking, but you know, I'm so glad that we we went and we visited that and toured that, and you know, but very, very, very heartbreaking. And the the, the capos actually the story in the book of the capos again, as I was listening to it, and you know, probably hanging up 15 minutes uh, before from a tenant representative who again was rude and cruel and sarcastic and I, I'm, I'm thinking you know you don't have to be so rude I am a landlord I did you know build your store out you know but again they're there and I, I, I came to the conclusion that the reason that they're being so unkind is they know what they're doing is wrong but they're also in survival mode their companies are telling them you need to go get rent reductions or you're going to lose your job so I think that, I don't think they're unkind people. Greg, have you been on any of those national calls where you're, I mean, I could, the words I could use to describe some of these people. I, I'm using the word entitled. There, there is this sense of entitlement that um, I'm, I'm battling with, with several retailers. And it's like, you, you owe me to do this. And, but they're also coming at it the, from the perspective of, well, I've got landlord A, B, and C doing this. And they're lying. Why can't you do that? But, you know, they're, they're lying. I had, a, I had a friend who said, you know, Bricksmore's doing this, so we're actually considering it. And I'm like, Bricksmore's not doing that. I was just on a call with Brian Finnegan the other day. They're not doing that. He goes, no, that's what this tenant told me. I go, I'm going to hook you up with Brian. They're not doing that. That's I, have, I mean, I have tenants because they're trying to prove their point. They're sending me emails that they're receiving from their other landlords. It's like, why? I don't care. Terrible. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a couple more paragraphs. Um, this, I, I loved this one. The more one forgets himself by giving himself to a cause to serve another person to love, the more human he is and the more he actualizes himself. Which I think, you know, we were talking about six weeks ago when, you know, when I, I, I like woke up, I was in Idaho for two weeks between March and between March 21st and Pat, bless you. And um, I had no idea what was going on down here in South Florida. I kept hearing all of this stuff and I'm like, this is crazy, like this is crazy. When we get home, this will be all over. And then we get home and I remember the like six days after being home, I find out that we're gonna be shelter in place for at the time, 30 days. 
And I like broke down and I thought, oh my gosh, 30 days. How can we stay in our houses for 30 days? How can they shut down the schools? What are my tenants gonna do? Just on and on, like woe is me, right? And then I said, okay, what can I do for someone else? Because the only way that's gonna shake me out of this, you know, pity party I was having was how can I go out and help other people? And I took, you know, I talked to my kids about it. We have to go help other people because there's other people way worse than us. And the only way we're gonna get out of this woe is me pity party is to go help others. And I, when, I, when I read that, that clause, I love that because that's what he did. Whenever he was kind of down in the dumps, he went and, tr and tried to lift someone's spirits by telling them a story or a joke or, you know, and, and that made him get out of his own head. So I think that is great for all of us to do when we, you know, we're not, oh, I'm not going to be up 365, 24 seven, you know, that's, you know, unrealistic to think that we can, but I think that when we are down, I always tell my kids, you get 15 minutes, you have a 15 minute pity party, and then you need to shake yourself out of that. We, just, we do the same thing. We go out for dinner with people. We tell them they can talk about their doctors for three minutes and that's it. And then you're done. The rest of us optimism. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, I'm looking at my other clauses I wrote down here. Hold on. A man. Oh, I'm about to lose my battery. One second, guys. Not planning ahead here. Hold on. Don't leave. Okay. Um, a man who could not see the end of his provisional existence was not able to aim at an ultimate goal in life. So a man who could not see the end of his provisional existence was not able to aim at the ultimate goal in life. And that I think is perfect for us too. If all we're doing is focusing on the crap we're dealing with today, right? And that, that we can't see the end of what's going on today, we're never going to reach our goals. And you know that goes back to what I've been telling my, my freshman forum that I have every Friday with my kids, my young kids, the kids in the business five years or less, uh, every day, what I'm trying to do is spend 50% of my day on handling the issues and problems of today and 50% of my day on a year from now's NOI, which obviously mostly is prospecting and talking to national retailers about expansion that, you know, which is way more joyful and beneficial than talking to them about rent deferrals. But do you guys agree? You gotta, you gotta, yeah. we, we all know that we have to handle stuff that's happening today, but we can't take our eye off the ball for a year from now, right? right. Agreed. And that's hard. I mean, just the, you know, 90% of my time is spent dealing with retailers and their tenant referrals. I mean, I mean, I've got 150 tenants to deal with. Are you trying to limit, like, I try to, I was trying to do at 1.3 a day. If I could just do three a day, but you, my guess is if you did that, you would be doing this for, you know, I just have to, I, I'm, I've given myself three hours in the morning to try to deal with it. And focus on other stuff the rest of the day, because I can't, it's impossible to dedicate the entire day. Otherwise you, you really would, you'd be, be in this rabbit hole and never get out and really not doing the job that you're paid to do. And it's emotionally, dist it's just distraught, right? It's emotionally disturbing. That's the other problem is, is when it you're, is. I mean, you know, all you're doing is dealing, dealing with, with negativity and issues like that. It's hard. Yeah. So are, how are you prospecting? Mostly on Facebook or cold calling or what are you doing? Or can you go out now? Oh, we lost Greg. Mark, what are you doing for, to, to plan for a year from now? Um, looking at my retirement bank account. <laughs> <laughs> are you retiring uh, in the next 12 months? I, yeah, I'm getting close, but I, I'm really just trying to focus a little bit more on a couple of my clients who are, I've always had a good relationship with and just staying with them. 
that's all. I'm, I'm really not in the, the new tenant, the, or the new seller mode as much as I used to be. And then I'm doing a lot of planning with my existing tenants, just making sure that, you know, they're going to be around or what we need to do to keep them. Uh, and we've been pretty fortunate. I mean, most of them are either deferrals or, you know, uh, 50% reductions for now. And it's hard, but um, I'm really just trying to work with them to keep them, keep them there. And we, we really haven't, I've lost one tenant um, and it's, I think it's only temporary that she wants to be gone. So. Yeah, I've only lost one so far too. I'm hoping that they open hair salon soon and otherwise I might have more. Um, uh, Lori, Daniel, Jane, anyone else want to jump in? You, uh, we have a Vita in one of ours as a tenant and their cleaning procedures and what they're getting ready to go through are just, it's mind blowing. You know, really? they're going to make it happen. So, okay, great. There are a lot of procedures. I'll, I'll just chime in from the San Francisco Bay Area. We're a little bit behind you in opening up. And I've talked to a lot of my real preferred um, exclusive tenants. One of them is Arthur Murray Dance Studios. And man, oh man, are they having a hell of a time. But I'm going back to my tenant from a financial model and saying, let's talk about other things you can do, um, like cost segregation analysis. Let's look at everything you can do outside of what you can't control. And I have to tell you, your choice of Viktor Frankl is so incredible because one of the things you can compare it to out in life um, while we're all going through this virus is cancer. And it's the same sort of model where people don't have control over what they can do, but how they handle it and how they face it. And I can say that from a personal perspective, that's why you're not seeing me today, because at the same time all of this was going down, I was being diagnosed with breast cancer. And I want to tell you, getting up every day and having work and having clients and having tenants that you can go out and help makes all the difference. And the people out there, the landlords who are behaving badly and the tenants who behave badly, they always behave badly. I watch lease negotiations with Ulta and Ross go sour. And now they're coming back telling the landlord what the landlord's supposed to do. And the landlord's saying, no, that's not how it's going to work. You're going to do it this way. And there's no grudge or anything but I'm just saying it's an incredible business model and we're all going to be able to write incredible case studies going down the road for how we handled it going forward. So I hope that gives you a little bit of insight. I haven't been very vocal on this call, but I, I love this series. I think you picked a marvelous book. Oh, Jane, our, our, you know, my personal thoughts are with you and I'm sending you a virtual squeeze hug. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that or you're going through that. Oh, I, I thank you for that. I have not told very many people. It's not part of my professional um, existence because people sometimes label it. But I'll tell you, it is, you have to look at every positive out there. And the positives are, this could have been diagnosed later and I could be stuck in COVID without being able to go through all the steps. But I do see us coming out of this in California at some time soon. Um, we look a little ap apocalyptic right now in San Francisco. I represent the Fairmont Hotel in San Francisco, who has literally had to shut down lest they become perhaps a housing unit um, for homeless, but I welcome calls and kind of keeping an ebb and flow on what we're doing in Northern California. We're dealing with a lot of things. We're watching uh, Nordstrom um, announce that it's gonna close in a very primary Simon Mall. And um, it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be interesting to see how the cities and towns also try to legislate and create mandates and how the developers and the retailers react. But I like what you said. It's time for the nationals to pay to help the smaller guys survive. Because if we lose the smaller guys, we're in deep doo-doo. Right, and, and you know, I read, so I did read that the state of California's uh, higher ed they're going all online for the fall, uh, but are you, and I also heard or read something that there's going to be a vote for, I guess, LA County to continue shelter in place for 90 more days. Have you, is that true? 
Uh, I have not followed LA. I have not followed LA. I'm watching us very closely. We are able to open, but I'm watching and we have architects advising us too on layouts of space. It's just like what you were talking about earlier in terms of there's going to be some repositioning of larger space. I actually see a lot of shopping center owners perhaps thinking about their out, out parcels. And what I'm doing is contacting those out parcels and saying now, maybe now is a really good time to do um, a sale off of some of those to kind of incubate your space where it's feasible or where there was enough of an out parcel to create a drive through venue. And um, no, I can't, to answer your question, I'm not following LA, but I will reach out to one of my closest brokers at Ferris Lee when I get off this call and see what's happening. There. I heard that, Beth. Um, but interesting enough, golf courses are open there. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are. Lots of rules, you know, lots of rules, but they're still getting out there. Yeah. And my husband being one of those desirous few, but he's in complete camp down, but because of me. So. <laughs> bless him. Well, God bless you, Jane, and thanks for speaking up. Um, oh, great group. Great group. Thank you. So um, we are uh, at our limit. I always promise you guys 50 minutes, uh, a lunch and learn type of thing. Yeah. What's the name of the book, Mark? The name of this book is Extensal Psychotherapy of Meaning. It's not an easy book to find, but it's out there. If anybody really wants to get in depth in this, you'll learn a whole lot from this book. This is the book that my uh, cousin and another PhD wrote um, all about um, Victor Frankl, Meaning of Life. I mean, it's just, it's a phenomenal textbook and it's hard to get through, but it's really worthwhile once you do, if you want more information on this book. Thank you. Thank you. And Lori mentioned that all of her tenants, most of her tenants are mom and pops and she's been working with them. I've been working with mine too. Um, so next month, one of my most favorite recent books I've read. I've li I listened to it actually, and it was a phenomenal listen. I highly recommend uh, Jesse Itzler, Living with a Seal. Fun. It's gonna it's gonna uplift you. You're going to laugh out loud. Jesse's great. Jesse's married to um, Blakely. Blakely. Yeah, who owns um, a Spanx. But great, great. Have you have you read this, uh, Greg? Or I have not. It? It's I, I rolled. I listened to this with my 16-year-old. We loved it, and we rolled right into Living with the Monks afterwards, which I'm not adding to the book club. It's not as good as Living with a Seal. And if anybody knows people who like to work out, not me, but if you have a son or a husband who loves to work out they'll love this book too. So listen to it maybe like I did with my son or your husband or your boyfriend or whatever. So that will be on June 19th. I hope we won't be talking too much more about COVID by then, but we'll see. And thanks for being on these calls, guys. Uh, I love reading. I, you know, it's funny. I'm not reading as much during COVID because I'm not in my car. I have to do the reading. That's why I went from walking one mile a day to four miles because I need to I need to be somewhere where I can listen. What about you, Greg? Are you reading more or less? Um, about the same because I mean, usually my my reading is done in the morning. So when I get up, it's you know I got my 30 to 45 minutes in, and it's that hasn't changed. So pretty consistent. I'm missing my reading. And then the, the following book, which I've never read, it's always been on the list, is The Richest Man in Babylon. So I'm going to start reading that one because I've already read uh, the Jesse book. So I'll see you guys on June 19th. Stay safe. Thanks for being here. Uh, love the book club. Uh, can you believe it's like going on? It's, it's We're almost finishing our third year. It's crazy. Bye, guys. Thank you. Be thank, safe. thank you.